Transcendent Tracks, a podcast that connects you with stories about music's powerful ability to impact our lives. I'm Daniel, your host and lifelong music lover. I talk with musicians, music scholars, music writers, and especially music fans to explore the tracks that have inspired and influenced them most. Grunge, alternative rock, or however you want to classify them, Pearl Jam were at the forefront of a new wave of rock music in the 90s. Along with fellow Seattle bands like Nirvana, Soundgarden, and Alice in Chains, they formed an entirely new sound and rock aesthetic. Although the quote-unquote grunge movement has come and gone, Pearl Jam remained very influential. Back in 1990, they started in what could have been called a regional subgenre, later developing into a band with worldwide commercial and critical success. And in 2017, they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. With me today is Ellie Orovio, who has been to 49 Pearl Jam concerts and counting. She has lots of great stories to tell. We want to get right into it, right? Like talking about how Pearl Jam stumbled into my life. I'm sure it's very similar to yours. I think Alive came out at the beginning of the summer, the end of my sophomore year in high school. And I remember just hearing it on the radio. And I mean, I got goosebumps thinking about it, just thinking, what it, what is this? I've never heard anything like this before. Like my whole body is reacting to this. And I just instantly fell in love. And then, so that was like the first time I heard Pearl Jam and I just became obsessed with Alive, like everybody did. It was like a song like nobody had ever heard before. And it just got you on so many different levels. And also a woman's perspective was included, right? And that's something I think in having thought through this, when you look at all of their songs, there's probably 30 of them that are written from a female's point of view. And then I'll never forget, Jeremy had just come out, the video of Jeremy. And I look at the TV and I saw him for the first time. Saw Eddie for the first time. And I said, what is that? Is that a human? Why is he so angry? Why is this so crazy? Is he gorgeous or is he not? Like, I was just this visceral reaction. You're right. I remember seeing that video and it was like, I can't decide, is he this sort of beautiful guy or is he totally repellent because it's all happening at the same time exactly yeah alive first time i heard jeremy first time i saw and then i was lucky enough Lollapalooza. i'm just gonna make me cry Lollapalooza 92 what was i doing wow I yeah how did you get there <laughs> i gotta ask my mom why did you let me go and that was like the um, it was the summer i think between junior and senior year yeah. and i'll never forget like yeah i was excited they were going i was like oh i'll see those people approaching them i really love that song alive jeremy song video i'm not so sure about it i really was there for like red hot chili peppers i mean i ended up like in the second row crowd surfing with the rest of them and it was just the first time i had the experience of pearl jam and then it's just been a passion of mine ever since and then you know, from there, I think 10 just rocked everybody's world. That became my, you know, on repeat the rest of my senior year. Yeah. Uh, and by this point, everybody's kind of like really fallen in love with all of the songs. Um, and then go off to my freshman year in college and Versus came out. And I mm -hmm. remember everybody saying, there's no way it's going to be like 10. There's just no way. And it rocked my world again. Mm -hmm. And like, I think about 10... And release, which is the last song on the album that is just, I mean, to this day, for many reasons, over the course of the past 30 years, 
it's a really hard one to listen to as beautiful as it is. It's like the memories I have associated with that song are just really, really potent and powerful and have followed my whole life and become to mean different things at different times in my life. But so I never thought there would be another release. That's for sure. And then, you know, the last song on verses is indifference, mm-hmm. which is like just as haunting. And I remember, I mean, I could put it on and hear in my head. I see myself sitting on the bed in my dorm room two days after the album came out. I remember the excitement back then about having to go to the record store. There's a release date. Go get it. Look at the liner notes. Sit with it. Read the lyrics. As it's playing. Yeah. I mean, it was like an actual activity, an event. Yeah. yeah. What are some of your more memorable concert experiences? Um, Pearl Jam announced that they were playing in New Orleans. We all went. And this would be my second show. And it was, it was just insane. It was general admission. And this is mosh pit days, yeah. right? I mean, so it was not easy to go to a Pearl Jam concert. Absolute chaos. And I was with my best friend, Becky. And I was like, I got to get closer, Becky. I got to get closer. She's like, okay, let's keep going. Let's keep, let's keep going. We got up to like the third row. I'm wearing overalls because that's what you did in 1995, right? Mm-hmm. And there was a guy in the front row. And he turns around and he looks at me and he goes, do you want to get closer? He picks me up by the back of my overalls, (laughs) lifts me up and literally sticks me in Eddie Vedder's face. Like I was dead center front row, lifted up. And I was just like, what is happening right now? I mean, he was maybe 10 feet away from the front row up against the rail up in the air. Mm -hmm. I think ever since then, I was just like, oh, I need more live shows. That was amazing. And then No Code came out, which was like the big separator, I think, right? Darker, harder, more punky. I really liked it, but it was very, very different. It wasn't as emotional. It wasn't as heart pulling. It was punk. And that was where Eddie's passion and roots were born in. So it made a lot of sense. And I remember they started to tour for No Code. And I think I went to one show. And I'm talking to some friends and they're like, oh, we're going to go to this show. I go, wait, what? You guys are going to go to more than one show? They're like, yeah. I'm like, that's an option? They're like, that's an option. <laughs> and the rest is history. I've done, I would say, four pretty significant tours. There was a time when I lived in New York City around 2000, right after 9-11, I moved to New York. And I think I got like 12 shows done that tour alone. So that was a pretty significant change in the way that I experienced Pearl Jam, right? Is once I realized, oh, wait, I'm not the only crazy one that wants to go to more than one show. And then people would always ask, but why would you go to the same concert twice? And that's where the band had started playing around with never repeating a set list. Mm -hmm. The idea of these rare, you know, as their catalog developed, rare songs that were never released on an album that you would only be able to see in concert. And doing that, like, just brought no code to life and like a whole other way. You want to hear a fun Very story cool. about that tour? Of course. Okay. I want to hear a fun story. Okay. okay. <laughs> I was living in New York. I was 26, 27 years old. And we go to Camden, New Jersey. When we would stay in downtown Philly. So there was two shows in Camden. So we had like four of us crammed into a hotel room. One to one show. It was great. Woke up the next morning. It was a Sunday morning downtown Philly, which is like ghost town, mm-hmm. right? There's nothing. And I was like, I got to go get coffee. Who wants to come with me? My friend, Jeremy, Jeremy, 
mm-hmm. decide that he's the one to come with me. I don't think we've even brushed our hair, brushed our teeth. We're looking around, we see a Starbucks. We're going to Starbucks, we're standing there ordering. And all of a sudden, it was like from the movies where the doors open, the angels come down, and it's like, oh! <laughs> and Mike McCready walks in the door of Starbucks. <laughs> and yeah, he sees our face because he's like, you guys want to have breakfast with me? Oh, no, really? Me, Mike McCready and myself sat down for like an hour, an hour and a half in Starbucks in a deserted downtown of Philly. And we had breakfast together. And I was so nervous. I could not speak. Jeremy was like, in 1994, when Mother Love Bone was interviewing him, right? I couldn't say anything. I was so shy and like really intimidated. Last thing I was expecting was to run into Mike. Freaking McCready. Of course. <laughs> he said to me, he's like, so what about you? Oh, they were going to play two nights at Madison Square Garden the next, the next night. So what about you? What song would you want to hear? And I'm like, I can't. You guys never play it. You played it once. You retired it. And I'm like, I want to hear Red Mosquito. He's like, okay, I don't know. That's kind of a tall order. Um, well, you know, I'll see what I can do. Sure enough, the next night at MSG, like probably the fourth song in, they played Red Mosquito. And... So that was like um, beyond amazing. And they brought Red Mosquito back. Now they play all the time. And I was like, I brought this song out of its retirement. That was, that's like probably one of my most magical memories for sure was Breakfast with Mike McCready. Yeah, it would have to be. Yeah. I'm really glad you remembered that story. So you've already answered a little bit on really memorable concert experiences. Are there any other ones that you had that you wanted to touch on? I say there's, yeah, there's a couple. So I've been lucky enough. There's these Hallmark concerts that have like gone down and, you know, the Hall of Fame for the band. One of them, I also ended up at quite by accident last minute when I was living in New York. And I'm like, they're playing in some place called State College. Um, I grabbed my roommates. We rented a car. We drove over. And all of a sudden we're like, we're at Penn State. Like the show was on campus. And it was just this really magical day. We didn't realize that's where we were going. Mm-hmm. Um, and... That ended up being, I think it's like the longest Pearl Jam show I ever played. I think it was like four and a half hours or something crazy like that. And we were there. They also did a contest at the House of Blues in Orlando. And the only way you can get into this was to win tickets on the radio. And I was in my apartment and I heard on the radio, radio days, right? Mm-hmm. Call now to win your chance. And I freaking won. And they flew me to Orlando me and a friend to Orlando put me up in a hotel to go to the House of Blues show. Oh, okay. So, so it was all, a whole all-expenses-paid trip, not just here's a couple of tickets, get yourself all there. That's an all-expenses-paid trip to go to, to Orlando. Fantastic. And they end up adding shows around it. So I ended mm-hmm. up going on tour with them for like a little while. But the House of Blues show, was it was just bananas. And then I would say there's two other ones. So it was a Vote for Change tour. It was like all for charity. It wasn't highly publicized. Like, in some suburb outside of Orlando, you get there and you're like, this isn't an arena. And it was like half empty. We all ended up in like the second row. Um, so that was a really, a really good one. And then one of their more famous concerts was their 20th year anniversary um, concert, which was in Alpine Valley. It was a two-day show. And it was without a doubt the best weekend of Pearl Jam I've ever had in my life. And that was one of those things when you talk about, okay, what were the the best shows versus the best memories around the shows, right? Mm -hmm. We booked it early. So we ended up staying at the hotel where they they were all staying and the press was staying. And 
it was just magical time to be there in this really famous venue. And my cousin, she works in radio and she was there. She was like, do you want a press pass? I have a press pass, but you're going to have to pretend that you're a journalist. I'm like, okay, I will. So she gives me the press pass and she's like, but do you have a camera? And I had this little digital camera. And I went to Kmart and bought a camera bag. Mm-hmm. And I had to sit with the press for hours before the show and talk shop with them. I make up this whole story. I'm, a, I'm a, you know, an up and coming writer. And all of my friends are watching. They're like, I can't, she's doing this. I spent yeah. the whole day pretending that I was a, a member of the press and that I was doing this piece on the band. And I got to watch the show, not from the front row, from the space between the front row and the stage. And the next morning we go to breakfast and I got invited to a roundtable discussion to talk about all the different press angles that the real journalists got. I was like my almost famous moment, you know, music journalist for the whole weekend. <laughs> so yeah. that was a pretty special, very special weekend as well, for sure. One last tour thing. They announced a new thing, that tour where they were doing a lottery every show for 10 club members. So they were randomly picking who was going to get first and second row. Mm-hmm. I randomly picking who was going to get ninth and 10th. And you didn't find out until you got there. And so like that night we got in, woke up in the morning. We had all day to do nothing. And we went to the pool. Kings of Leon were opening for Pearl Jam that tour. And we're all just starting to really get to know and fall in love with them. They were huge in Europe at this time, but they were opening for, for Pearl Jam. And so we get in the pool and all of a sudden we're like, that's Kings of Leon. We end up spending 10 hours in the pool with them. And so talk about like from a movie, we spent the whole day in the pool with Kings of Leon, having the best time. They weren't like, they were a big deal, but they were not what they were like in Europe, right? Mm-hmm. So they were super approached. They were just happy to hang out with some other people. The best time we go to pick up our tickets at the show and we won the lottery. So we had front row to that show. So that's probably one of my best shows ever. Not only do we win the tickets, but like now Kings of Leon, when they're opening, they're like, oh, hey, hey, Debbie. Hey, Elena, what's up, girls? Um, it was pretty magical. We left that show with more memorabilia than we could carry. <laughs> tambourines. I have Eddie's tambourine right here. Tambourines. I have Matt Karen's uh, uh, wristband that was like soaking wet. Set lists, drumsticks. We left with like armfuls of stuff. So it's hard to beat that. Yeah. So those are like, I think, my most memorable tour moment, right? I met Eddie better. I ended up meeting Eddie later when he was doing his solo shows in the elevator. The only words I can get out of my mouth were, it's going to make me cry. You've given me the soundtrack to my life. You've had some pretty incredible experiences. But yeah, of course, it just leaves you kind of longing, longing for more. You know, I know it's crazy. And it's like my 12 year old. Well, let's start with the fact that I named her after Eddie Vedder. Her name is Elle Victoria. So she has the same initials, Evie. Okay. And then my cousin, Nicole, she actually named her daughter Evie. So like they're the two little cousins and they're both named after Eddie Vedder. So of course, everybody in our family thinks we're absolutely bananas, but we don't right. mind. And I know we wanted to talk about like, okay, how do you get somebody to fall in love with Pearl Jam and experience them? Like a new listener who maybe doesn't know them. Exactly. Like what songs or even albums might you recommend as an introduction? There's just something about 10 when you listen to it from beginning to end in the order that it was produced. That is a very different experience than putting on the radio and randomly hearing one of those songs for the first time. And that really holds true for, I would say like 10 verses and Vitology. 
at least for me. I'm just like just listening to it as a complete work, the album. I think it's like really critical to understanding the music. Some are meant to be heard live, for sure. But to get the itch, I would say 10 front to back is the way to go. And then if you liked it, go ahead, do, I would say 10 versus Vitology. I think that sequence is really your foundational, right? It's like the pre-algebra of, of Pearl Jam. And then from there, they played around so much with different sounds and different things that you could figure out what do you like and what you don't like. But those three for me are like quintessential DNA of the band. I agree completely. And I love that. Like they still blow me away. So what keeps you coming back tour after tour to see this band and has kept you such a loyal fan all these years? So like there's different kinds of Pearl Jam shows. There's the kind where you are fourth throw center and it doesn't even really matter who's with you because you're just locked in. Yeah. And it's like the one place where it's your happy place. Like where everything is aligned. You made it to a show. I don't even really like concerts, to be honest with you. I don't like crowds, but there's something mm-hmm. when you're there. You can just be so present. I'm not thinking about anything else except that moment. But there's that kind of show where like you're as close as you can get. You've got the best things you can get. You're just tuned into the band the entire time. It's a very kind of a solo journey. Mm-hmm. But then there's shows where it's, you know, the lawn is GA, Lollapalooza Chicago. Like we end up going, you know, 2010 maybe. And we were nowhere near the stage. But it was 15 of us jumping up and down, singing to each other. We weren't even looking at the stage. So it was more like the communal experience. So there's so many different kinds of shows that you can go to. So you don't always have to be in in the front row. You really don't. You have a really great, memorable experience. But the payoff is always, always worth it when you're finally at that show in that moment. When the lights go down and it's just... I live my life from that moment to the next. Really do. That's what keeps me going. And there's another moment that for me is always super magical. Typically, like doing certain songs, like it always happens during Wishlist, which has never been my favorite song until experiencing it live. Now it's probably one of my like top five favorite songs. But it's just a moment where the lights go down and you can just see their silhouettes and Jeff and Stone will be back to back and they'll just all be like in the zone. That's another one of those moments that just like takes your breath away and like reminds you when you're in it, okay, this is why I do it, but it's what makes us happy. I would say it's really magical about Pearl Jam in general is how is it possible that like I can hear one of those songs and remember why it was relevant to me when I was 21 and how it's still relevant to me and I can hear the lyrics and relate them to my life right now at the exact moment that I'm in. Like that part to me is like so mind-boggling that so many different songs are like that, that I can literally go to, okay, who was 21-year-old me and where was she and why was this song so important to her versus 31-year-old versus 41-year-old. And the story has changed, but the meaning is completely still relevant. And it's so bananas to me that I could still hear some songs last night and get rocked to the core and then feeling every version of me that had been rocked by that song to me that's the ultimate testament to the power of of their music without a doubt the fact that the songs can be alive i can hear it right now and it can take me back or it can help me right now in this exact moment and now i hear it and i think about like what my kid is going through is like a preteen and where i've been in my my life So for me, it's very therapeutic in a way that no other band has been able to do for me. They've given me a soundtrack 
to my life. So hopefully one day we'll become a kid soundtrack too. For me, it was a big deal to realize that I think that's why I'm not just loved music and live shows, but Pearl Jam specifically. I'm not the only one. It's not like this music was written for me, right? It's the common denominators that their music is just highly relatable and just allows you to process through all these different feelings and emotions. And it doesn't matter who you are. We all have different stories, but there's just these nuggets that we all relate to in there. Um, that's amazing. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to follow or subscribe in your favorite podcast app to stay up to date on episode releases. And if you have a friend that you think might enjoy this show, please share it with them. You can find links to episode resources in the show notes. Thank you again for joining me for Transcendent Tracks. I'll see you next time.